Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, praise God. Let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to seek your face, to be able to touch and agree in this place. Lord, we thank you for the worship that we have. Now we've come to an opportunity to learn from you in your word. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that even now you're teaching us about yourself. Even now Christ is forming in us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are changing and we are growing. Now, God, unto you, we lay this moment down before you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. We are in the portion of John chapter 18 where uh, Jesus is about to be arrested. That arrest will lead to him going to the cross. The cross would eventually lead to the resurrection. We know the story of Jesus and that we've seen so many crosses. We know names like Judas. If you've heard that name before, it might have been because you heard someone called a Judas. But every time Judas is mentioned, we know that it has to do with betrayal. We know that it has to do with hypocrisy. Well, Judas, the individual that we're going to look at today, he is part of setting Jesus up to be arrested. Now, one of the things that I think is pretty clear from the story of Judas is that I think Jesus wanted Judas in the story to be able to help us to see that people can rise at very high levels of religious influence and not know Jesus. But I think there's another aspect that God wanted us to understand with having Judas in the story. One, you have to understand that Jesus chose Judas as his disciple. So Judas didn't like sign up and they were like, we're looking for some disciples and he like put his name in a hat. No, he chose Judas. The other thing that we have to keep in mind is Jesus, if he wanted to, could have walked up to a temple or walked up to a, you know, a a centurion or a Roman soldier and said, hey, arrest me. I'm Jesus. I know you guys are looking for me. So here we go. Do, Do what you have to do. But the Bible tells us in John 13 that Jesus was very aware that this betrayal was happening. He was very aware he was about to be arrested. There's something about Judas that Jesus wants us to see. And I think that there's something about Judas that's really about us. I believe Judas is in this narrative to help us to see something about ourselves. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon believers, that we will receive power. And this power will enable us to be a part of transforming cities, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. So we are endowed with power, transformative power to change cities, neighborhoods, families, and your life changes. So one of the things that we may not realize is that one of the things that Jesus is doing is he's teaching his disciples how to properly steward power. What is it like to have power? 
What is it like to walk with power? And so that makes sense when you look at Matthew 20. In Matthew 20, Jesus basically says that the Gentiles lord it over them, right? The rulers, they exercise their authority. And so the way that these disciples have seen leadership and power their entire lives has been seeing dominance, threatening, overtaking. The way that you keep your power is to impress yourself upon people. Caesar, if he wants to keep his power, if anybody gets out of line, he crushes them. So that's why he had the torture of the cross. You'd get crushed on a cross if you were to cross Caesar. Jesus in Matthew 20 at the end though says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you're going to be a servant. And Jesus flips the idea of power on its head. Instead of crushing his opponents, Jesus is crushed for his opponents on a cross. He completely flips the paradigm of power and he says power is not meant to be held, to dominate. Actually, power is intended to serve people, to help people, to bless people. Andy Crouch, in his book, Playing God, would say it this way. He says, power is not given to benefit those who hold it. It is given for the flourishing of individuals, peoples, and the cosmos itself. Power's right use is especially important for the flourishing of the vulnerable. The members of the human family who most need others to use power well to survive and thrive, the young, the aged, the sick, and the dispossessed. Power is not the opposite of servanthood. Rather, servanthood ensuring the flourishing of others is the very purpose of power. Andy Crouch says, the reason why we are given power is to be a benefit to other people. That means power doesn't just corrupt. Actually, power is a gift that you might help your destitute, lowly, oppressed, marginalized neighbors. The reason why you're given advantage is to help the disadvantaged. And so Jesus, when he, in the upper room, he washes feet again. He's talking about servitude over and over and over again. He is teaching them the stewardship of power. Now, why is this so important to understand Judas? Well, here's something that we don't really think about. In Luke chapter 9, this is what it says. It says, Jesus called the 12 to himself. And when he called the 12, this is what it says. Look what it says. It says, he gave them power and authority over demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom. Do you know who else was in, you know who was in the 12? Judas. Now let's just use deductive reasoning. If the 12 were sent out with power over demons, if the 12 were sent out to see people healed, that means Judas saw lives change, people healed. 
He was there when Lazarus was resurrected. He saw Jesus walk on water and it wasn't enough. He saw the power of God facilitated through his own intentions and it wasn't enough. And there was something inside the heart of Judas that caused him to not feel that the power that he was given was satisfying to the soul. You see, power in the kingdom comes through submission. Power in the world comes through acquisition, getting more. And there was something in the heart of Judas that wanted more. And I believe John 13 gives us a window into that. John 13, it says the night that this betrayal was going to go down, it says that the devil... While they're eating supper, the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Now, the devil is not very, uh, he doesn't have a secret game. His, his, his strategy is pretty obvious. He's like one of these teams, like, we're going to run this way, and this is what we're going to do. Like, the Satan's job is pretty obvious. He looks at what you love. And if it's not Jesus, he tries to give you more of that. He looks at what you love. He sees, look, where, look, look what happened. Where was it? The heart. There was something in Judas's heart. And Satan doesn't make you sin. He partners with you in sin. And so this imagery that there was something in his heart. What was going on in Judas's heart, y'all? Here's the deal. When Jesus steps on the scene, he's like, bam, he's healing people. He's doing all this. And Judas is like, oh, okay. I like that. Looking like he's going to be king. Hmm. Looking like he's going to be the one that's Messiah. Huh. It's looking like you're going to be able to take over the Roman occupation, the empire, and Jews are going to be back in power here in Rome. Huh. If I align myself with you, I will end up in power here. If I align myself with Jesus, I'll end up with political power. If I align myself with Jesus, we'll take this whole Roman Caesar thing down. Me and you, Jesus. So yeah, let's, let's walk on water, do what you got to do. But we're, we're going to end up, you know, you know we're, we're heading to the capital, right? I mean, that's, that's where we're eventually going. Jesus is like, we're not heading to the capital, we're heading to the cross. And Judas realizes, wait a minute. So this thing is going towards a Calvary road? I, I mean, I'm picking up on this. I don't, I'm getting this vibe you want to die. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I just, you keep bringing it up. This death thing. I thought you were a king. And what was in Judas's heart was... I don't think this is going to work out anymore. So this is what made sense to Judas. The Bible says in Matthew that Judas goes to Roman officials and Jewish officials, the Pharisees, and trades the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Now, 30 pieces of silver is about $300. And at that time, that's the kind of money that you would get if your slave 
had gotten killed, that's the money they would give you. It's, a, it's the kind of money you get for a lowly individual. It's chump change. Judas traded Jesus for power. Judas said, I don't think I want this sacrifice thing, but I'll take human influence. I'll take Rome. So I'll trade you Jesus for power, more power, not sacrificial power. And Judas is about us because there's going to come a point in your walk with God where this thing's kind of leading to sacrifice. This thing's kind of leading to the submission thing. This thing's, I don't know, this is not going, this is not everything I wanted. And there's a part of you, the Judas gene is in you to make the trade. The exchange. I'll trade you Jesus for relationship. I'll trade you Jesus for power. It is within us. And the narrative here, which is crazy, is Judas literally saw lives change, but he was still insecure. He was still having something in his heart he wasn't comfortable with. And the story of Judas is about you and I and how the Spirit of God can come in your life, but he, he only satisfies the soul as you press into his presence, as you get to know him more daily, and the relationship with God causes you to experience the power of God. But even in seeing lives be healed and changed, you can still have this quiet part of your heart that's uncomfortable, that speaks to you, that says it's not enough. This should warn us. You say, well, I want a closer walk with Jesus. You can't get closer to Jesus than to actually be next to Jesus. Judas was next to Jesus and was like, this is not enough. You see, there's something about human influence. There's something about the eyes on us. If Jesus doesn't make you secure in your heart, you'll trade him for humans to make you secure in your heart. Listen, if Jesus is not making you secure in your heart, you'll want people to do it. You'll want eyes on you to do it. You want people's influence. You'll want one more like or one more heart. You'll need something. And Satan will know what's on your heart. And he'll partner with you and distract you from the king. And so this night goes down. It's a very interesting night. Jesus has been teaching in the upper room. And while he teaches, Judas literally, <laughs> Jesus is a bad boy. I don't have it up on the screen. But Jesus, Jesus in John 13 dips a morsel of bread in there and, and says, <laughs> he says, I'm about to give this to the one that's going to betray me and gives it to Judas. And folks is like, oh, snap. And Judas is like, and he says, do what you're going to do quickly. But this is the thing. Judas performed miracles. So the Bible literally says no one believed that he was the one that was going to betray him. They still were probably wondering who's it going to be. He was that trusted in their midst. So Judas leaves out. And then Jesus, over time, after telling some stories and praying, and as you heard Rasul the last two weeks, teach on the prayers of Jesus for unity. 
Jesus then goes and walks over to the Garden of Gethsemane. John 18, he goes over to the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas knows he's going to be there. It's a big setup. It says, John 18, verse 2, Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. And the scripture tells us that Judas is there. And it says, so Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, this is a very interesting point. If you look in verse 3, it says that he procured a band of soldiers. What that essentially means uh, in the Greek, it's like a cohort. Um, it's considered hundreds of soldiers. So there's most likely about 500 soldiers with him with torches and lanterns. But there's also the temple police. These are the Jewish officers there as well. And essentially there's hundreds of them. So there's close to 1,000 soldiers there. In the Garden of Gethsemane, most likely a small little garden to go after a Galilean who hung out with fishermen. They're wanting to come after him. And Jesus does something that they're not prepared for. Verse 4, it says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. And then in verse 6, when Jesus told them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, these are hundreds of the toughest guys in Rome coming after Jesus. Jesus says, whom do you seek? They're like, Jesus and others. He says, I am he. And they all fall. What is happening? Jesus... In Greek, it shows us that when Jesus says, I am he, the word he is not actually there. When they said, who are you? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. And when he was saying, I am, he was referencing the Hebrew name of God in the book of Exodus. And they were so blown away at his confidence that he would sit there and say, because remember, there's a thousand soldiers there and they're basically thinking, we're going to intimidate you out of your divinity. And what ends up happening is that he's, not only does he say, I am, I am he, he says, I am. He steps right into his divinity and they were so blown away, they fall back. This was, as the young folks say, a flex. <laughs> Jesus is showing his power. Now I want you to I want you to I want you to understand this. Jesus is actually showing them I am powerful. I just said words and you fell. 
Later, he'll, later on in the same text and other verses, he, you know, Peter's like, man, let's, let's, let's do this. He's like, bro, I could call down angels. Just like, don't, let's not even go there. But he just says words and they fall. And one of the, one of the amazing things that God does in order for you to understand him is not just him getting us to understand his power, but getting us to understand our powerlessness. See, he wanted the soldiers to know that you're arresting me out of, out of an act of my mercy towards you. I'm giving you my hands. I'm giving you my wrists. No, you don't take my life. I lay it down. This is an act of mercy. I could get you out of here with words. Jesus is putting on a display of his power. But I want you to see that he's going to use his power. Jesus puts on a display of power so that there would be this still honor there. Several years ago, Natasha and I went to Cancun, praise God. Actually, the church paid for us, so praise the Lord if y'all want to do that again. But it was amazing. It was amazing. No, it was an amazing time. It was an amazing time. We, we went, and um, I had never been in the ocean in that magnitude, right? And so um, the waves were just these beautiful waves just crashing in, you know? So I go up to the water and I'm just like, wow, this is just amazing. You know, the water's just crashing in and then you kind of get a, so then you kind of get a feel for the waves and you know, you, you start letting the water take you like, this is fun, you know what I'm saying? And the water just, you know, you're kind of dancing in the water. And yo, I'm not going to lie. I was like, <laughs> and I lost my footing. Have you ever had that, like, I'm about to die in the water? Like, you're like, you like, that, that? You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that thing you do. Like, I, my feet was in this, I was like, oh, I did that. And then, and then, like, my toe, I mean, my guy gave me, like, an atomic toe. I just stepped my foot down, anchored it, and I came back. And I was like, I was about to die. And though this did not happen, I felt like the ocean was like, just so you know, I'm not all waves and fish, you know what I'm saying? Every now and then I'll do a tidal wave. I'll take you out. I'll take you out. And it, it just in that moment, and so what did I do? I backed up. And I was like, this is not all fun and games. This thing is powerful. And I had to honor the water to know I wasn't, this wasn't just a plaything. In this moment, Jesus, with his words, helps you know I'm not just a Galilean carpenter. I'm not a plaything. You're arresting the Son of God. But I want you to, this is, this is, we flex for eyes on us. He flexes to serve. Because this flex he does is only for the protection of the weak. This flex that he does here, it's only for the protection of the weak. Look, look what happens. It says in verse 7, in verse 7 he says, so he asked them again, whom do you seek? So Jesus says, whom do you seek again? He says the same thing again. And they said, 
Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. In other words, I am. And then he says something that I want you all to see. He says, so if you seek me, let these men go. As I studied that passage, I found myself trying to figure out why is Jesus doing this? Why is he finding himself repeating, whom do you seek? And I was amazed at finding out what this was about. The reason why Jesus repeats, whom do you seek, is because he's trying to find out whose name is on the warrant. What we have at times is kind of a mob culture where when there are people with power that come together, they figure we'll just take, out the, take them all out. Jesus realized that oftentimes when people come together, their power is unlimited. And he knew that these 12 disciples were vulnerable in this moment. So he calls them back to their law and he gets them to repeat, whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, well, whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. So you just want me. That's right. Okay, then let these men go. And what he was doing was he put on his display of power just so that he could protect the 12. So that the 12 wouldn't be arrested. And this is, I found, I, I was so amazed by what I saw, I, I called up Rasul right after I read it. I was just so amazed at what I had never seen. You see, the text tells us that in John 17, Jesus says this, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. This is what I want you to notice. He says, I was with them. I kept them in your name. I guarded them. Not one of them is lost. If I could just share with you how amazing that is to me. This verse, I've always read this as Jesus saying, all these disciples... I've guarded them spiritually from the evil one. And I will keep them spiritually in eternity. And this verse I've always understood as eternal security. That if you are saved, you cannot lose your salvation because Jesus is a protector. He guards. And I was amazed that when I read this next verse in John 18. So that was John 17. What I just read to you, that was John chapter 17. That was a prayer he prayed. And he says that all in the past tense. I've guarded them and all this. So I'm like, okay. So th that was just talking about while Jesus was walking on the earth. And I guess that's also going to talk about how he keeps us now. But look at this last verse. In John 18, 9, the next chapter, in the context of the disciples almost being arrested. It says, while, it says, this was, 
John writes, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you have given me, I have lost not one. For years, I would read the John 17 passage, meaning God didn't allow us to lose our salvation. He didn't allow us to lose our connection with Jesus, and that's true. But in John 18, in the context, do you know what he's saying? John says, this fulfills what he was saying in John 17 because he was protecting them from getting arrested by an unjust government. And maybe one of the problems we're having in our society and in the church is that we're so committed to eternal security that we've forgotten that he's protecting us in our temporal security, that Jesus is not okay with systems that set people up to have them go to jail unjustly, that he's saying, I am guarding you. What does it look like? Jesus is guarding young black boys on the street. He's guarding them. Spiritual guardianship means I care about your body too. And this text is a picture because he flexes his power to say, you can't unjustly arrest my friends. This then enhances the way that we see George Floyd a year later, where we saw the knee on a neck. Y'all, the church should spend no time debating this. The church should be there to want to guard a young man who has a knee on his neck. We are part of the guardianship of our city. We are part of the guardianship of the vulnerable. We are part of the guardianship of the oppressed. We are part of the protection of this city. When Jesus sends us out, he doesn't just want us to see people get saved. He wants to see people be protected and cared for. And this Jesus wants to know who's on the warrant so he can serve and protect. Maybe Jesus is concerned about our physical security. But I think lastly, what was wrong with Judas? Judas performed miracles, y'all. He saw lives healed. And that wasn't enough. And inside of him, he just needed to know, well, may, I still want to be at the top of Roman authority. I want to be at the top of religious authority, even though I'm serving and I'm giving and I'm leading, I still want more influence. In many ways, Judas was just simply insecure because having Jesus didn't secure his heart. And I want you to know that Satan looks at the insecurities of your heart and he prowls around us and he sees what you're loving, what you're longing for, what you're gazing at. And he wants to partner with you in distraction. He wants to partner with you to move you away 
from the things of God. I want you to think tonight, what are those things that you are insecure about? What are those things that you find yourself thinking about often? That you're not enough, that you're not a strong enough leader, that you're not a wise enough mother, that you're not enough brilliant, you're not brilliant enough as an entrepreneur. Those things that you find yourself in the comparison trap about. Those things that you that, that quietly creep in. Those things are in the toolbox of Satan. Because the Judas gene is in us. That means it doesn't matter if you've been serving in the church your whole life. It doesn't matter. Your religious resume can be at the top. In fact, you could have walked with Jesus. Because someone who walked with Jesus three years said, I'll make a trade. I'll trade Jesus for more influence. And if you think that Judas is just Judas and you don't see us in Judas, you'll miss the point of the story. Judas is in us. Power hunger is in us. Insecurity is in us. And we are insecure. And if you look yourself in the mirror, you'll be honest about your insecurities and you'll give those insecurities to Jesus because you know Jesus is a protector. That means if you're insecure, you need to get with Jesus because our insecurity is meant to be in his security. It's supposed to be, do you, do you know that he's, that, that thing that you're wrestling with, that thing that's, you're supposed to be laying that down before him. Protect me, Jesus. Protect me. Because the quiet lies of the enemy, that volume increases to the point where you won't want your savior anymore. Don't just see Judas, see us. See us. See me and you. As a pastor, I think it is of no surprise that, of course, I can be tempted and, of course, I sin. But I was thinking about this the other day. I, I, I realize that we're in a different generation, we're in a different culture, that we're always on social media and you're seeing people whose influence just increases and rises. You're seeing people who just are taking off in the same industry as you. You're seeing women, you're seeing women that are beautiful and smart and funny doing the same things you do. And we are in a world that is constantly causing us to want more and more and more. And as I preach, I turned 45 this year, and I can pretend, uh, these young people, <laughs> that, uh, what do you call it, Instagram? <laughs> no, I feel it too. When I moved here, I didn't know anybody. Our church grew. And then this pandemic, panorama, panini thing happens. And people you've been blessing and serving say goodbye. 
And then I get a text message from other people like, yo, man, my church grew in the pandemic. I'm like, praise God. Prayer hands. <laughs> and all this time, I'm 45. And there's something that says, hey, isn't it time for me to blow up some? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's my time. It's my, it's, this is my time now. All, no more sacrifice. I get it, the sacrifice. <laughs> okay, but now it's my time to, I want to go to the Capitol. Do you think that's just in you? That's, that's, in, that's in us. That's, that's a us thing. And someone asked me the other day, like, well, what do you do when you see things on social media that, 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 that happens inside of you? I, I stopped looking at them. <laughs> Ta-da! Just, I, 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 I compare my ministry to other ministries. And when I compare my ministry to other ministries, I stop looking at that ministry. To me, a ministry that causes me to not be satisfied with what God has given me is on the same level as pornography. Because pornography doesn't make me cherish my wife. What God has given me. And God has given you a road. He's given you a journey that's filled with sacrifice and heartache and pain and blessing and favor. But you'll peek every now and then and look at another road, a broader road, an easier road. And Satan will come and be like, you see that road? He'll be like, I don't see that road. He'll be like, but do you see the road? He's like, well, I see the road. You want to take that road, don't you? And you'll want to make a trade. Do you know that Judas never betrayed Jesus in public? Do you know that? Judas never was like, I get him, y'all. Sick him, you know what I'm saying? I'm here with my boys now. Surprise, I'm actually with the Romans, you know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He kissed Jesus. He, he kissed him. Now that blows your mind. Because what he wanted to do was pretend that these thousands of people just so happened to come at the same time as him so that he could save face with the church. I mean, save face with the disciples. So he wanted to be with the Romans and with the church at the same time. And so he never publicly disgraced Jesus, but he privately traded him. He still wanted to do all the religious gymnastics. It did, the text doesn't tell us, but I kind of think he was like, hey, wasn't that crazy, y'all? He went up, like he went up to Peter like, oh, snap, where these dudes come from? He wanted to keep his religious influence while maintaining political influence, all the while making a trade for Jesus.
And how does the story of Judas end? Gets his 30 pieces of silver, trades Jesus, and hangs himself. He hangs himself. The story of Jesus, Judas, ends because as he sees the man that he knew was serving him for three years get drug off to a cross and he can, he's thinking about these 30 pieces of silver and it wasn't enough. Roman influence wasn't enough. The silver wasn't enough. And he probably thought about the times that Jesus ate with him. He probably thought about the times that Jesus sat with him. And he thought power and influence alone would satisfy his heart. But it really was never that. It was the power of God through the loving acts of Jesus Christ. And it broke his heart to shame. Judas is in us. He's in our DNA. And we would be wise this afternoon to take an insecurity inventory. Because if you don't take inventory of that which you're insecure is, and it's insecure of, be sure the devil certainly is. And I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know where you're at. You may not believe in the devil, but I know what? The devil believes in you. And he watches you. And he knows no matter what level of religious resume you have, you can still make a trade. Be cautious. Be careful this evening. Monitor your heart, for we have the Judas gene in us. Heavenly Father, tonight we come to you and we acknowledge your presence in our lives. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to help us to see us in Judas. Help us to see the Judas gene in our DNA. Help us to see that we'll trade you that we will make an exchange for more. Holy Spirit, even now, even now, we ask the temptations in our heart, the insecurities in our heart, we pray we lay them down before you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.